Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today I'm joined by Dr. Rob Reddy, Dr. Greg Tentendo, and Damian Finlay. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yes, this is awesome. And you guys are um, currently practicing in St. Louis. Could you just give us a brief kind of history of your training and your practice setup? Maybe, Rob, you could start for us. So my dental school is up in Detroit Mercy. I'm actually originally from Toronto, Canada. I then got the opportunity to train in Boston at Tufts Medical Center, which is also part of you know Tufts School of Dentistry. And then I was fortunate enough to, I guess, get into the fellowship here in St. Louis out of Mercy Hospital. And I love the city. I love that there's no traffic at all here, you know, be from Toronto and then Boston. So I'm like, I'm sticking around. So it was an easy win for me. Damien, how about you? I attended dental school at the University of Connecticut. And then I did residency at Mount Sinai in New York City. I did a year of private practice just because I had to make some money because my wife was pregnant at the time with my daughter, but knew that I ultimately did want to do like a fellowship because I wanted to practice full scope OMF. So I applied to the fellowship here in St. Louis, was accepted, did a year here. It was a year that definitely changed the trajectory of my life and decided to you know remain here. And I feel like it's a great place to be. And Greg? Sure. And so myself, from the Northeast, you know, went to dental school at Tufts University, which is actually while Rob was a resident, I was a student. So I came across him way back then. And then after dental school, moved out to San Francisco, where I did medical school and surgical training at UCSF. And then right after graduation, moved here to St. Louis to also do the fellowship and, you know, stayed in town since and joined the group that uh, runs the fellowship. And just as Dr. Finley said, you know, really kind of changed the trajectory of kind of the type of surgery I practice and, and how I do it. Awesome. And so are you guys all in a, the same practice currently or doing your own thing or what's the setup? Yeah, exactly. Take it away, Rob. Yeah, so Greg and Damien, they're a part of OFSI. I joined Southwest Oral Surgery. So I actually got into the, the fellowship first. There wasn't any opportunities at that time. So I went over to Southwest Oral Surgery and kind of dug up my own little niche there and and again, like, you know, just because you know, we're going through the fellowship, we, you know, we all became really close friends. I worked with all of them and kind of an awesome situation in, in the end. But uh, yeah, so I work in a different practice, but Greg and Damon are colleagues, friends, best buddies. We hang out like it's, you know, you would know that, that, that we're in a different practice. And as you said, you know, Damien and I are the co-owners of the Oral Facial Surgery Institute here in St. Louis, which has always been the practice that has run the fellowship. But luckily, we have some other you know, great oral surgeons in the community like Dr. Reddy, as well as a, another colleague of ours, Dr. Shake, And, you know, they help out with the fellowship, making sure that these uh, fellows that come to town stay very busy and see a whole kind of plethora of, of cases. Awesome. And what is the emphasis of the fellowship? What's kind of the main stuff you're doing? I would say for sure, there's definitely no short of trauma. So I would say trauma, TMJ, and also a very good exposure to 
uh, cosmetics. Our fellows every Friday works with an oculoplastic surgeon where they're able to get, you know, hands-on training, not just holding sticks, doing blepharoplasties, brow lifts. Like, you know, Rob said earlier, we are at a level one trauma center, so there's definitely no, no shortage of that. And also, you know, a lot of open joint surgery from arthroplasties, also joint replacements. So those are our, that's our bread and butter. However, the fellows also have exposure to like complex implantology, you know, uh, whether it's all on four or conus cases, pathology. I personally treat a lot of emeronch. Uh, it just continues to show up on my schedule and a decent amount of orthognathic too. So, Excellent. Oh, don't forget about that osteomyelitis. And I definitely want to reemphasize the, I think one of the really unique things with us is the amount of TMJ surgery that we all do because there really isn't anyone else in Missouri doing TMJ surgery. So as a result of that, you know, we've almost become this hub of, you know, we all get referrals from Illinois, Oklahoma, or, you know, rural parts of Missouri all coming in, you know, because they've haven't been able to find anyone else to even find conservative treatments, let alone surgical management of TMJ problems. Wow. Nice. <laughs> and is this usually a one-year fellowship or how does it go for your fellows? Yeah, we've been doing, it's a 12-month fellowship, kind of runs on the academic calendar, you know, so getting them going, you know, as close to July 1st as we can, and then, you know, staying right through to that next summer. Is there anything you guys are looking for in, in candidates? You know, does it have to be double degree or what kind of stuff you're looking for? I think that just someone who's coming in, you know, that's eager to learn, that has good work ethic and is looking to basically either hone their skills or get themselves exposed to the things that, you know, maybe they had deficits in their training. Maybe they didn't have a lot of exposure to cosmetics. So that's usually it. You know, we don't, it doesn't have to be someone from a dual degree program or a single degree program. You know, that's certainly not a requirement. And then the other thing I think that is unique about our fellowship, and I'll bring it up just because... Rob and Damien are both pretty humble guys. They co-authored and co-edited a board review book, all focused on oral board preparation. So that's an invaluable experience for when fellows come down because, you know, they get to work with us. We do a lot of mock cases and, and they get exposure. And through that writing process, I'm sure those two can explain how much, you know, they learned about the board process and how much really goes into that, which I think is, is great for our fellows to get firsthand uh, experience with. Yeah, I like how Greg, you know, used the word mock cases, also as being pimped. But yeah, uh, back to, to your question, obviously, you know, we're, I think we're looking for just good people who want to do great work. I think what makes me, Damien, Greg, and every fellow that have come through that, you know, we still talk and get together with a lot of the older fellow or, you know, past fellows because of that camaraderie that we've created. So I think one thing is just finding a person who wants to do great quality work, you know, wants to do the right thing and just has the, you know, a, a very friendly, eager personality, which we all can kind of, you know, get along with. It's along here, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of cases where they're never not busy. You know, they're, they're, they're always being exposed to a lot of things. And one really cool part of the fellowship is that, you know, because, you know, there's no academic centers really for oral surgery in St. Louis, it's a major city, right? We, basically, we are the academic center. So one really unique thing is that the fellows can also, in a way, also kind of mold their own fellowship. You know, if they want to spend more time with official plastic surgeons at Mercy Hospital, they love having them around because there's no residents or fellows. So they, they can go in and, you know, knock on, you know, Dr. X's room, who's a, a cranial facial surgeon or or a facial plastics guy and say, hey, do you mind 
if I jump in and it's always been open arms. So like during my training, I really wanted to do more facial cosmetics because I didn't really have much training up at Tusk. We didn't get much of the exposure. So literally every Thursday I'd be with a very well-known cosmetic surgeon here in St. Louis from, you know, seven thirty till three, like going through like facelifts, you know, everything. It was, it was absolutely incredible. So, you know, again, I think we're looking for people who just want to learn and are just, easy to get along with we've created this you know i guess this a uh, reputation in the hospital we're hungry smart people who want to go out and do great things so you know kind of want to keep that that's awesome and it sounds like you do kind of a potpourri of a lot of stuff i mean is the goal to kind of train more full scope guys or and gals or do they kind of pick something once they're in it and end up specializing in tmj or cosmetics or what usually happens after the fellowship yeah, I think, you know, full scope is really the goal of most of the people that come and train, you know, as, you know, I'm sure you remember from when you graduated and at least myself, you know, I didn't feel like I was really ready to go and practice the true full scope of oral surgery, you know, felt very comfortable in certain sections, you know, but not that I could just say, hey, I can take whatever comes in, you know, so I think that that is kind of a transitional year to make everyone more comfortable with that so that they can also find a way to practice full scope themselves because not only are they learning the surgeries, but they're seeing the model that we function in and how we find the balance of being busy in office with dental alveolar and implantology, but finding the time to go do full scope cases without closing the office down and having your, your overhead skyrocket all the way to the point that you, you don't have a practice anymore. So I think full scope is the goal for sure. You know, to speak to that, you know, but, you know, so we've seen some of our fellows go to private practice, you know, some of them go off to run residency training programs, you know, so those who go through the program, I think it's like 50-50 academics, full scope, then half of them will go off to, you know, private practice, full scope. So it's a really good program. That's awesome. And your book is on Amazon, right? What's the name of it again? Oral Board Review for Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. We tried to make it as simple as possible. Straightforward. You know, when people went and did a, looked at the various search engines, they'd be able to see our book you know, first. So I will tell you that the inspiration from the book came after Rob and I were studying from the book. And when we looked out there, what we saw was, even though there was some board review material out there, we just felt like maybe we could do a little bit better job of like, you know, pointing out the salient points while at the same time trying to direct people as to how to take the exam. Because I think that we all would agree that there's definitely a component of having the didactic knowledge, but also there is a way to take the exam as far as how you should answer questions, you know, specifically like focusing on what's asked of you, keeping your answers nice and concise, not offering out too much because then you can put yourself in the hornet's nest or not being able to offer enough, which also puts you in the hornet's nest. And so after Rob and I took the exam, we sat down and said, we're going to write this book that has a, a good balance of tips to take the exam, as well as having the didactic information. And also, we spent a lot of hours writing really high yield, high quality notes. So the, the blueprint was there. Like We had binders just full of, you know, all of our notes and tips. So it was like, you know, we're just putting it on a shelf. Why don't we put it together and get some colleagues of ours who uh, also, you know, did well on the exam and, and try and make this piece of work. And it's so far doing 
pretty well. Like we have a lot of residents and, you know, from around the world have been reaching out, like saying, thank you. I know it's weird to kind of think of that, but people are actually on Instagram adding us like someone who I would never know. It's like, and they're saying great job. So like I've heard the word from actually a few people calling it the blue book, you know, because it's blue in cover. It's, it's, it's got a name out there. And, and funny, my associate, Dr. Waite, who's studying for the boards right now, he's using it, you know, as a as a guide. So it's kind of weird to, you know, see that. But it, hopefully it's, it's added to the body of, of knowledge to oral surgery and it'll become a great resource. And then coming in uh, October of 2022, we're starting a board review course here in St. Louis, you know, using that as a spinoff off. We have a lot of the authors from that book getting together and, and hosting a course that we think is going to be a little bit unique from some of the more popular board review courses out there. You know, we've kind of tried to look at the best of each course and, and figure out how we can kind of combine it all together. Oh, very cool. Did it take you a year or two to write it or how long did it take? Four year project, my friend, because you have to remember, I mean, we're have to reach out to all these contributing authors, right, that we asked to write. Some of these are very um, uh, surgeons that have already made a lot of contributions in the field of academics, right? And so you're asking them to kind of write and give them a deadline, right? Let's say you give them a deadline of February 1st. Well, if you give them a deadline of February 1st, if Dr. Such and Such, which has written all these books, can't get it to you until April, then you're still going to have to kind of just roll with that. And then after once we got everyone's submission and Rob and I literally had to sit down and go through every, you know, submission, verifying like the different resources that they utilize, the references, and also just making sure that the information was, you know, correct. So it took a lot of work, a lot of work. And we're all still married somehow. So, uh. <laughs> right. That's really cool. I love you guys that you did that. It sounds like a kind of a passion project because I assume this isn't, you know, making you millions of dollars or anything. No, it would be nice. I would say this. I actually said to Rob that one of the former residents at Mount Sinai, who's now an attending at Lincoln, said to me, I got some good news for you and some bad news. His good news is all of the residents in my program have the books. His bad news is she's like, there's a free copy online. And a lot of people have been... (laughs) (laughs) And we walk into this thinking, yeah, that we're going to be able to uh, retire off this again. Trust me, if if you knew the actual contract details, like, why do you do it? It was a passion. This is what we we like to do. It's not obvious. Like, it keeps our life interesting and, you know, it it makes great stories. So, yeah. Yeah. You can't put a price on legacy, too, you know? Trust me, you're not (laughs) making good money off this. (laughs) But it was fun. It was fun. Very cool that you did that. And I like the point that you brought up, Damien, about, you know, there's the information that you have in your head, but then there's also the aspect of delivering that to the examiners. I mean, I, you know, did mine several years ago and I felt like we all knew all the stuff, but that was the main thing that, you know, threw people off was their ability to kind of stay calm and handle questions and not lose their mind when someone kind of questioned what they were saying. I felt like it was super beneficial for me that our program made us start in our first year presenting and grilling us and just giving us crap every week about cases. And so I was kind of used to this setting, but some of my friends were very thrown off by the whole experience. Oh, yeah. It's hard seeing, you know, when that person across the table, you know, who knows way more than you do and and someone who you admire is asking you questions, you just freeze, like... (laughs) You know, like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, I remember a couple of people telling me about 
the people that question them. You know, these people have written books and, and authored chapters on that specific topic. And they're the ones asking them the questions. And you're just like, uh, what could I possibly say that you don't already, you know, that you don't know or that you're not going to chew up if I'm the slightest bit off, you know? Um, so definitely it can be an intimidating process. I think David, didn't you tell me once about uh, someone who tried to like quote a paper or something from the guy that wrote? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, yeah, I think someone was in there with Dr. Katamani is what I was told. And he said, well, according to your paper on such and such. And he was like, oh, let's talk about that. I would say the other advantage, too, of the fellowship is that because of the fact that the fellows are seeing like an array of cases when they're also, you know, studying for their boards. Right. It's easier for them to kind of articulate their points because of the fact that they're seeing it like every day. Right. So when they're asked to describe the preauricular approach to get into the temporal mandibular joint space, they can rattle it off. Or when they're asked like, hey, you know what? You finally got through the joint capsule. Here's a bleed. What are the potential sources? They've seen it. So they know what all the potential sources are around it, right? So they are not as intimidated. And I'd say a lot of the fellows, after they've come out of their oral exam, will like call us up and say, you know what? It wasn't that bad. That was okay. I think I feel good about it, you know? And I remember when I talked to Greg, after he took his, he was like, that was solid. I feel good about it, you know? It's like... I feel that, you know, they have adequate preparation here just from the hands-on experience as well as going through mock cases and stuff like that, which, you know, we do with the fellows every year. So That's awesome. You know, something that helped me out, which I wondered if you guys noticed this, but it seems like the different sections that kind of start you out with the meat and potatoes. And, you know, if you answer that right, they kind of start taking you down roads that get more into zebras and you're kind of like, whoa, where are we going here? This is getting pretty wild. And, you know, I was kind of, someone told me that it would happen. And so I wasn't too, you know, thrown off and kind of tried to maintain confidence, but also, you know, not making up some BS when I got to the end of my rope and being able to say, you know, I, I really don't know. The answer to that was, seemed helpful to me. What are your thoughts on stuff like that? Yeah, I think one of the methods that we even, you know, try to get across to our fellows that, listen, you are going to say, I don't know, and that's okay. But we teach them from this premise that there's stuff you need to know, stuff that's nice to know, and stuff that's nuts to know. And once they start taking you towards those zebras, as you pointed out, so long as you, you kind of answer the meat and potatoes questions, you're doing okay. You know, like a friend of mine that did the, in the recon section, he said he felt like it was going pretty well. And they asked him if he was familiar with any papers on as far as checking flat vitality, what's better, clinical exam or Doppler? And he was like, I don't know. And I said to him, you probably are doing OK, you know, at that point, you know, so it's more so being able to, you know, articulate the most salient points in the meat and potatoes, like you said. And then if you can answer some of the questions that are nice to know. I mean, obviously, if you can answer some of the ones that are nuts to know, then you'll do just fine. Yes. And I assume your book kind of goes through all of this stuff and helps you with each aspect of these different kind of cases that you could get. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Good. What other um, things, you know, about the fellowship and board review type stuff did you want to talk about? I would say that for me, for my personal journey in doing the fellowship, I think that it did not necessarily just completely relegate me to the realm of teeth and titanium. And so I feel that, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I think that it also still allows me to reach a demographic of patients with various needs that I'm still able to help. And then it also gives me a, I guess, a greater sense of like inner fulfillment because of the fact that I feel like I'm actually still utilizing the training that I, you know, went through. So, and add on to Damien's point, yeah, I feel it's the exact same way. You know, one of the biggest, you know, reasons why I love being part of the fellowship because it makes me keep on learning. Not only do I learn techniques from other parts of the country, you know, like these little small points that make my surgery quicker, easier, safer. But also, you know, I don't want some young gun coming in and making me look foolish. So I, it makes you read. It makes you kind of keep up on the literature, try all the new innovative things because you want to keep it interesting, you know. So, you know, we might try something. And one of the things I see is a lot of surgeons will fall into this rut where, you know, they're comfortable. This is where I'm going to stay don't stay in my lane but you know we're always trying to like try something new uh, you know lately you know i've been doing a lot of the aligner um i guess orthotic surgery which you know normally i wouldn't have tried unless like you know i had you know a, a someone to back me up and I, i'm not gonna lie i called greg i'm like hey man i want to try my first one he's like rob you're nuts i'm like yep <laughs> and he's like sign me up so we tried it it went gorgeous and i'm doing a lot more like more of those so it's you know it's keeping me up to date it's keeping you know my surgery more fun because I, you know, I'm trying new things. I'm seeing these great outcomes and, you know, I'm passing it on to these, you know, because one thing you may find, they have some programs are, are still in that comfort zone. You know, they have these surgeons who do the same thing day in, day out, and they won't veer off you know, course. And so that's kind of a cool thing that we offer that we are trying the newer things. And, you know, we always have reps trying to you know, say, hey, try this, try that. If it, if it makes sense and it has good Foundation. Hey, I'll try it. So, you know, hopefully we're on the, you know, the cutting edge of oral surgery here. So that's what it really offers me is, is, you know, it still makes surgery exciting. Yes. You know, I think it's probably pretty common for a lot of us to, you know, the day you graduate, you're super pumped to do everything. You know, you've learned all this stuff, TMJ, cosmetics and orthognathics. And then when you kind of get out there and start testing the waters, you realize that it's, it's no easy feat to have a full scope practice and you know you start kind of a lot of times getting pigeonholed and just to the basic stuff teeth and titanium how did you guys you know make it work and do what most people can't you know i think we all got a little bit lucky with the foundation that was built here you know over years and yes we've now taken it over and we run it you know in our own vision in our own way but that was a big part, you know, with the previous residency or excuse me, previous fellowship director, previous owner of the practice. This is kind of a niche he carved out over decades. And yeah, there's some benefit to us taking that over. But we also got the chance to change it in a way that worked for us. So, you know, I think one thing that people will find kind of unique is most of us actually operate in the afternoon when we go to the operating room. We'll see wisdom teeth, implants all morning long up until 12, 1230. And that's when we book OR cases because you tend not to run too late in the office, but you might run late in the operating room. So you can't have a full private practice schedule canceled because your OR case ran long or you got delayed going in. So that's actually kind of a unique thing we do. We, you know, I might have an orthognathic case booked at 1 p.m. or total joint booked at 1 p.m. And I'm going to, you know, see patients all morning long and then jump into that OR because there's no end time in the OR. You know, if I need to go until 5 p.m., 6 p.m., 7 p.m., that is what it is. You can't really do that in the office. You're not trying to start a set of thirds at 7 p.m. when they were scheduled, you know, at 2.30. I don't think the 
referrals or the patients would appreciate that. So from my own experience, because there wasn't a room at the practice when I was done, you know, I kind of found, you know, personally that, it, you know, as long as you have the will and the drive and the, and the want, like, you know, I kind of carved out some other spots in the city, you know, on my own because not many people are doing or want to do what we do. So, you know, bring up the idea of like having an oral an oral surgeon on staff and available, it was actually really exciting to a lot of these hospitals because, again, we are such a small specialty. There's not much of us out there offering services. You know, I was able to you know negotiate call contracts. You know, so I had to learn a lot of stuff on my own, but I didn't see much resistance. Yes, we're probably very lucky being in St. Louis where there's no residency program here. But again, you know, if you want to do it, it can be done. You know, it takes a little bit of kind of guts to call up, you know, these hospitals, but they're very receptive to this idea. Because remember, not only is there the facial trauma part which we're looking for, but you can't forget all the orthopedics and all the cardiac surgeons who need us prior to transplants and joints. I've had some of our colleagues, you know, create very lucrative contracts, you know, with hospitals because because they do need us. So one thing to kind of keep in the back of our minds, it is possible and there's ways to kind of sell your services to these hospitals and, you know, maybe even get paid for it. You know, and I, one of our, um, at least Damien and I, our, our largest office is actually right in the hospital, right in the level one trauma center. So I think maybe for someone who's out there looking to do what we do, I think that's a good place to start. See, is there office space available in your local hospital, whether it's level one, level two, level three, because then you have a physical presence there, you know, and then you can say, hey, patients in the ED, all right, discharge them from the ED, send them right to my office. Or, you know, you got a, a medicine doc calling you about an inpatient, not a big deal in your lunch break to walk upstairs and see that patient. It's another story when your office is 25 minutes from the hospital and there's you're driving back and forth going after hours before. So I think that's a big part of it for us is actual physical presence it does expand your visibility in the hospital and makes you a more integral part even though we're not actually employed by the hospital those are some great tips i like how you've kind of figured out how to do both private practice and kind of or cases it's awesome you know i think a lot of us too after several years you can experience a little bit of burnout especially if you're just doing the same procedures over and over and it sounds like you guys are fighting that off by doing a lot of variety, you know, and, and kind of get involved in courses and writing books. And it's, it's so mentally stimulating that, you know, it's probably awesome for you guys and you're not getting too burned out over just taking out wisdom teeth every day. And one thing, you know, you know, for a newer surgeon, you know, the courses that I kind of go to part of, you know, you always see these great surgeons out there and you always wonder how they got to that level or, or built such a great practice in this because they're offering something unique or something which, which, you know, dentists are looking to find, you know, and if doing full scope is not many doctors are doing it anymore. So, you know, that's one way to kind of build your name fast is being the doctor to go to, you know, like Dr. XY can do it all, you know, and, and also as we all kind of show the cool pictures on our phones to all of our, you know, uh, I guess our uh, referrals are like, it's kind of cool for them to kind of look at. And so again, it kind of builds that trust and it builds that, you know, like it kind of sets you apart of being that higher level surgeon and be able to do anything and handle anything. Cause you know, if they have that mandible fracture of the, you know, the patient they've been seeing for 15 years, you know, in their practice and they want to take care of them, like, you know, go to Rob, 
he'll take care of you. You know, you don't have to go to the ER and wait in line and we kind of handle it there. So it's one of the way to kind of brand yourself and kind of set you apart as well. That's a really good point. I like that a lot. Did you have another comment, Damien? No, I was going to say, you know, Rob hit it on the head. Definitely from a marketing perspective and branding, it definitely helps to position you, put you in an advantageous position, you know, as far as setting yourself apart from, you know, some of the other, you know, surgeons in the area, because sometimes the GP will kind of think like, well, if this guy can, you know, resect a big part of this person's mandible, I guess I should feel pretty comfortable sending him the dentalist uh, site of number 30 for an implant, you know, so it definitely does make a big difference as it relates to how people view us as clinicians. Uh, Yeah, for sure. And if graduating resident is interested in your fellowship, what is the best way for them to go about you know, figuring out if this is a good setup for them. Yeah, I think it would be to reach out to us. You know, I think the easiest way is our fellowships listed on the AAOMS website. You know, it's listed on the, you know, craniomaxillofacial, you know, match program website. And I think we're pretty, you know, easy to contact and, and reach out. And we're always bringing people to town for interviews and stuff like that. Awesome. And you guys are okay with people calling you or emailing and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. You know, we're very open to that. And, Interestingly enough, our intended fellow for this academic season is not going to be able to attend. So we actually have an open position right now. And so we're actually looking for some people yeah, to reach out to us. We'd certainly like to you know, interview them. You know, they like to come to town. We, we fly them out, put them up at a hotel. They get to come in, scrub and, you know, see if, if they like it and see if they you know, would like to spend a year with us. So. You know, either an option, you know, Lacey's our kind of program coordinator and, and, you know, she's very responsive, but also just going on our website, I think also is a great way to do it. So that's OFSinstitute.com. You know, we have a tab there about the fellowship and we usually post numbers from the last couple fellows for what they've done, volume of cases and all that. And our fellow last year, I think she cut over 600 cases and our fellow this year, he's on a drive to try to beat her number and, and he very well may get there. But I think that's a great way to see the program and check it out is by going on that website. Awesome. You know, we've had several people on the podcast who did fellowships and they all speak really highly of them. I think we get to the point where more education is always helpful, especially in our field. And the more you can see and the more surgeons you can see and the ways they do things is just so helpful for your career. And, you know, spending an extra year or two is just a drop on the bucket compared to the, you know, the next 30, 40 plus years of your career. So I'm sure it's time well spent. I think that's a good way to think about it, you know, is, is what is one more year? You know, when you're talking about a, a 30 year career, you think you can get some benefit out of it? It's worth the sacrifice to do the extra year for sure. So Grant, sometimes Greg and Rob refer to some of my sayings as Damianisms. So I just thought of a very good Damianism, you know, to kind of, you know, drive home the point that the Greg just made, like, you know, what's a year of extra training? Well, I call it the, the bow and arrow theory, right? You have an arrow on the bow and you pull yourself back. But then once you let it go, you propel yourself way beyond you would have gone had you not jumped on the bowstring, you know, in this case, the bowstring being having a year of additional training. So. So there, you just got a Damianism. You can incorporate that into your, uh, your analogies. Yes. Put yourself on a bow and go farther. Do a fellowship. Well, good. We end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Are you okay uh, fielding some of these questions for us? Let's give it a try. 
All right. These are pretty easy. The first one is, what's the best book you've read in the past year? Other than the book you wrote, can you guys each kind of give us your best number one book? The 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sharma. And the premise of the book is that when they look at people who are like high achievers in like different career disciplines or different callings, like one of the things they all had in common was waking up very early. And then there's a, a particular formula that you're supposed to run. It's called the 20-20-20 rule. So 20 minutes of sweaty exercise. And the way they describe it is that in that 20 minutes, you basically release a, a pharmacy of mastery as it relates to like neurotransmitters. You get your dopamine up, your serotonin, you're feeling good. Then there's supposed to be 20 minutes of like reflection, you know, whether you want to meditate, just kind of sit in solitude. And then the other 20 minutes, you're supposed to like do something to learn, whether that's read a, you know, a book or listen to like a podcast. And what they found is that people that have done that, they kind of own their morning, the rest of their day becomes easier, right? As far as them getting things accomplished and as far as how they handle the stresses of the day. So it was a great book. Awesome. Greg, what's your book? Well, I can tell you, you'll know what I'm talking about based on the books I see behind you there, you know, with having two little kids at home. I don't think I've read anything above a, a second grade reading level in a little while. So I'm going to go with I Love You, Stinky Face. Great kids book that I read to my daughters all the time and has some good messages in there. Yes. You know, sometimes those kids books can be very profound, even though they're short and sweet. How about you, Rob? Uh, well, Greg and I are kind of in the same situation, but I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to skip that one. But um, so right now, I guess the best book I've read this year, when, you know, when I was able to actually read beyond just, you know, a children's book, A Speechless by Michael Knowles. Basically, the book kind of discusses how we word things can frame in the way that we perceive things. So I read it a while ago. Like, you know, I'm not as articulate as these guys, but it just, it just kind of shows how, you know, we view the world and how we kind of label things can definitely change that. So it's a great book. <laughs> read it. Very, very cool. The next question is, what non-oral surgery thing have you done or that you do in your life that helps you with your daily oral surgery skills? I mean, Damien kind of already talked a little bit about this, but is there anything else you guys kind of do that helps you with your oral surgery daily stuff? I mean, for me, it's I exercise a lot, you know, and, you know, my goal there really is to have a long career where I'm not having the back aches and the injuries and stuff like that. So, you know, I think the dedication I put into physical activity is to stay young and stay healthy and flexible so I can do this stuff. Because we all know, you know, taking out a third molars can actually be a pretty physically demanding thing, especially when you're back to back to back to back. You know? So in the last year, I've really rededicated myself to health for that reason. You know, because I see some guys later in their career, they're limping along and their neck hurts and their back hurts. And I'm like, I can't hang this up at 50. I think I'll still be paying off my student loans then. So <laughs> I got to at least make it into my 60s. So me and I guess Greg and Damon actually go to the same gym. So uh, I definitely try and, you know, work out every day. Again, it's just, you know, stress relief as well as keep in shape, but not sound unoriginal. One thing I would say, you know, is going out and socializing, like learning how to talk to patients, talk to referrals, like, you know, not be the the introverted surgeon in their little ivory tower kind of thing, you know, like that definitely helps me in my daily surgery skills by building up a referral base and, you know, getting the five-star Google, you know, uh, reviews. Like that's key is to learn to care and to, you know, 
and just be outgoing because you know for so many years as residents fellows we're so like stuck in our books and getting work done and you know we don't time for anybody we got to step out of that shell and and actually learn to talk to people and actually care so you know i think learning to socialize again and not just a superficial level like i try and meet people and try and you know understand them yes that's awesome huge part of what we do in addition to working out and socializing, I think for me, just making sure I, I spend adequate time with my wife and my kids, because that helps me keep things in perspective. And it also obviously is one of the motivators for me to get up and go to work every day. Of course, yes, I want to have a fulfilling career, but then I know there's other people that are also depending on me. So, Well, that's super helpful. And the next question is, what forceps do you use to extract tooth number 12? Let's start with you, Greg. <laughs> Me, I'm usually just grabbing a uh, an upper universal right there. <laughs> That'll keep it too uh, too tricky. You're not getting too fancy, okay, Damien? What would you say? I would say the same thing, but you know, every now and then, if you find one that's like compromised by severe periodontitis, sometimes I'll just grab it with my finger <laughs> and just rotate it up. There you go. <laughs> Oh, that's like my dad. He's a general dentist. He always said the best tool you have, son, is your own fingers. And, you know, and he. Put it on a composite and then squish it in there. What are you going to say, Rob? I'll say the same thing. A 150, you know, upper universal. And I keep my thumb on the buckle bone to kind of feel what's going on, you know, down below. So I don't get that buckle root fracture. So, yeah, 150. So not the ash. We don't have any, no ash man here. Not for the upper. For the normal, like, lower premolar, I'm all, I'm all about the ash. But the upper, I'm going to my go-to. Okay, sounds good. Last question is, what is your favorite quote? Do you have a quote or a mantra that you come back to in your life? Do you want to start us off, Rob? So Damien, while we were studying for boards, gave me a, a great Damienism, which I, I literally tell everyone, like, do you have a, a copyright on, on that Damien? Was that from your uncle or did you hear from somewhere else? Because it's what I kind of live by. You know, inch by inch is a cinch, yard by yard is hard. Like, you know, just just take it stride and you know what people who know me i'm very hyper and kind of always kind of moving around and gaming always kind of levels me out and so i live by that you'll you know get there but take your time <laughs> one step at a time yep what would you say greg or damien well for me i have a, a quote that you know i picked it up from a friend you know back in high school but i've always tried to live by it it's uh good better best never let it rest until your good is better and your better's the best oh that's awesome keep on refining Exactly. Keep refining, keep working hard, you know, because you, you're not going to be there in the beginning, you know, it's going to take constant work. Yes, that's awesome. Mine is uh, experience as a cruel teacher. First, you take the test and then you learn the lesson. And I think that we can all as surgeons appreciate that quote. Sometimes you have those days or those cases where you're like, oh, that didn't go as expected. But then it ultimately ends up making you a better surgeon because you learn the lesson and then you know not to do that again. You know, it's just like I can't remember which Fortune 500 uh, CEO someone was interviewing and they, they asked him, so what makes you so successful? And he said, well, good decisions. They said, well, why do you make so many good decisions? Because I made a lot of bad decisions that I learned from. Right. So that's my quote. I think that's my second favorite Damianism. My first is another one he's had to remind me of a few times when he tells me, Greg, turbulence is the price you pay for flying high. <laughs> Damien, sounds like you need to write another book here, like the Damienism quote book. Because <laughs> it, it happens. <laughs> I'm going to call it the OMF Sage. I'll be your first buyer. Oh, that's awesome. 
Well, good. I really appreciate you guys taking the time today to talk a little bit about your practice, your fellowship, the things you're doing, some of your philosophies on life. That's much appreciated. Well, we appreciate you having us on. Thanks, Doc. For sure. All right. Sounds good. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you so much for you as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. If you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstuckey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or feedback on a certain episode that has already aired, please call or email or text me. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.